With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. Turn first-round picks like Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. Visit PaniniAmerica.net today. The Volume. The Colin Coward Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. No better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Basketball, football, they have awesome new and existing user promotions. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You can get your winnings back in two hours. My favorite, the same game parlays. You can bet five or 10 bucks in 150 bucks or more. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Get started now. Sign up promo code Colin so they know we and I sent you. The Colin Coward Podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Hi, everybody. Welcome in. Uh, Thursday night, I got COVID, and so I didn't show up for work Friday, nor can I go based on protocols at Fox or iHeartRadio on the premises today. So I'll take a COVID test today, hopefully get back tomorrow. I feel fine. Uh, got through the weekend. Um, I'm ready to work. So let's discuss the six-game suspension handed down by Judge Sue Robinson for Deshaun Watson. It's complicated. So a couple of years ago, the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to this current process. And the reason they agreed to it, because the NFL clumsily for years had really botched many suspensions. And they wanted to put it in somebody else's hand, an arbiter, independent, no jury involved. Uh, it's often a retired judge. So Sue Robinson knows the CBA was presented with four cases, all nonviolent, from Deshaun Watson and hands down the verdict of six games. Now, the NFL has three days, the NFLPA, they have three days to appeal it. My guess is the NFLPA is satisfied with six games. It could have been far worse. 
This is where it becomes complicated. It's more art than science. Because Roger Goodell's job, and this is not Sue Robinson's job, his job is to protect the league. And perception is part of that protection. So the largest growing fan base among all demographics in the NFL is women. Six games for 30 accusations. Zeke for the Cowboys got six games for one accusation. Big Ben got six games for one accusation. Those were non-criminal accusations. This was non-criminal, right? Two grand juries did not indict Deshaun Watson. So what do we do here? What does Roger Goodell do? Well, executives, commissioners are rarely scrutinized for being overly punitive, handing down a very harsh sentence. It's when they go light, which Goodell and the NFL have done several times. It's why they agreed to this process two years ago. So Roger Goodell knows better for the league perception, better for the brand if they come in and double or triple the suspension. Now, the NFLPA would sue. It would drag out for six months in the news cycle. NFLPA doesn't want that. Deshaun Watson doesn't want that. Roger Goodell doesn't want that. So again, more art than science. What do you do to a six-game suspension, which to me and many feels light? If you make it eight games, how harsh will the criticism of Goodell be and how long will it last? He will, in my opinion, add games to this. I felt before the ruling, Deshaun Watson came across as creepy and criminal or not, it deserved a full year suspension. Maybe that's unrealistic. My hunch was, however, he would be suspended until about Thanksgiving, half the season. I think Goodell's been an excellent, excellent commissioner. The league has grown on every platform. But if there is a knock on him, and I think it's just, is that he has butchered maybe a bit strong, but botched multiple previous suspensions. He came in too light. Executives are always better served coming in harsh and dealing with those consequences. This is never as easy as people on Twitter and social media want you to believe. A commissioner's job is different than an arbiter. Mm -hmm. He is um, protecting the brand. He's protecting the owners. He understands that once the season starts, he does not want a story like this, a negative story dominating the news cycle. So it's a balance. It's easy to run to social media and say, quadruple it. Then it's in the news cycle for two years. You're not running the league. So it's a balance, more art than science. My guess is he'll extend it three games, maybe six. But um, if he is viewed as too heavy-handed by the NFLPA, then they'll sue. And Goodell doesn't want this to be the lead story in a great NFL season for the next four months. So I think Goodell here comes in 
adds either three to six games. And then we'll see how the NFLPA reacts. But they created this years ago because they had been clumsy and light on suspensions and harshly criticized. So Goodell, I think, has learned his lesson and will add games to this. Well, he's one of the leading sports columnists for a long time in this country, 30 years. And even though I grew up in a tiny fishing village 3,000 miles away in Westport, Washington, uh, Dan Shaughnessy is one of those voices I read for years and years when it became available. He's a sports columnist, Boston Globe, enjoying another great Cape Cod summer, I imagine. Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, best place in the country, in my opinion, to spend your summers. He's got a book out, Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. And we'll get to the Bill Russell passing in a second. Let's just start with the obvious uh, Deshaun Watson six-game suspension. You know, the NFL a couple of years ago, Dan, they agreed to this process because they had so clumsily handled suspensions. And so you get an independent arbiter. They come in. They render a decision. You can appeal it. It feels very, very light to me. And I, I think perception now, Roger Goodell has to, in my opinion, double it. Or I think the NFL is going to get har harshly criticized. Your thoughts? Yeah, I thought I thought he was in for a year. I thought that was going to be a year. I was stunned at how light it was. And uh, you know, here in New England, we've been down the path of Roger Goodell doing whatever he wants. So this might be a time to him to bring down the the ginger hammer, as it were. So I I don't know, but I I, I don't see that thing staying at six. Six feels too light to me. Well, you know, in in so much of this, listen, everybody on social media. Th simplifies it. But the reality is, um, this is Sue Robinson's decision, not Roger Goodell's. And, you know, perception for a commissioner, I mean, you saw Rob Manfred get clobbered uh, throughout the All-Star game for just slight comments that feel off-tone or, um, um, you know, missing the mark, not reading the temperature in the room. My feeling has always been commissioners and bosses and executives don't get in trouble, Dan, when they're overly punitive. Right. It, and so to me, if I was Roger Goodell, just to protect the league and to protect the brand, I would triple it. And if the NFLPA wants to sue it, that would just make more sense to me. I'm with you. What, what's the harm? At least he looks strong in that point and probably giving right. America what it wants. Uh, and, you know, it, it feels like. This is insulting to a lot of people, especially the women of America. And, you know, not all those women were lying. No one's buying that. So it looks light. And given other things that have been done for lesser transgressions, certainly. Um, yeah, he looks better if he if he if he goes with the hammer here, even if he can't uphold it, which generally he can. So uh, Bill Russell, I grew up in Seattle. So Bill Russell um, was a sonic broadcaster, was a big part of the Northwest, retired in Mercer Island. Uh, we knew his story very well, as Boston and Seattle probably knew Bill's story as well as anybody. Always dignified. My, the words that came to my mind um, when I heard of his passing, dignified, defiant, uncompromising, strength, values, um, racism, um, obviously what he dealt with. So let's go back to the beginning of your career when I imagine you dealt with him more often. Um, he was a fairly uncompromising guy. Now that we know his life story, we understand that. What he was going through is just unimaginable today. How was your relationship in, in the times you dealt with him? 
Well, I mean, I grew up in New England. I grew up playing basketball. He was a god to us. And we were so lucky to have that kind of a team here. All these Hall of Famers who were securing their own greatness. And it was great for teachers and parents to have this role modeling of a team that, you know, put team above self. And they weren't about statistics. They never had a scoring champ. And they Russell would block the shot, not swat it into the seats. He would control the block and run the fast break and, and you know, match up with Will Chamberlain, all this stuff. They were a model team that we learned how to play the game correctly. And it was great to have a winning team in our midst because the Bruins, Patriots, and Red Sox weren't very good when I was a young person. Come into this professionally as a sports writer, Bill Russell's daunting. He doesn't suffer fools. He doesn't give any quarter. He experienced racism here. He was right. I was a reader, so I read Go Up the Glory. I read um, Second Wind, uh, you know, Diary of an Opinionated Man with Tyler, Taylor Branch. And these, Bill Russell, it bothered me as a sports writer that this guy is not only a great athlete, he's a better writer than we are. So we always hate that, but he could do that too because he was an intellect and he was smart and he could outsmart the opposition and win that way. Professionally, Colin, when we had him around, you just didn't know which guy you were going to get. Blows hot and cold and there would be a force field around him, a do not disturb sign metaphorically hanging around his neck and you didn't go there if, if it was one of those times. There were occasions when he was, I don't know, trying to get into heaven or his daughter had gone to Harvard, was involved in a mentoring program. He was very supportive of that. He would come around and do favors for her with us, which would give us access. He came to the Boston Globe Executive Dining Room one time and he was he was storytelling. It was like we were like he would do with his teammates because he was trying to help out his daughter. So he tolerated us fools for this day. We could ask him stuff. He was cackling, telling stories. He told me one. I, I use it every time. They were playing the Lakers, the Archie Clark Lakers, and it's a regular season game out there. And the Lakers have a two-point lead in the ball with 10 seconds to go. And he, there's a timeout. So, of course, they know they're going to inbound, kill the clock. You'll have to follow them, whatever. And Russell says, no, no, I have a better idea. Archie Clark's in the game. He's a scorer. I know what he'll do if I create a path to the basket. He's going to go for two more points. So they come out of the timeout. Russell, you know, creates a path to the basket. Archie Clark goes for the easy layup. Russell comes up, chase down block. They get the ball back. They score. And the Celtics beat them in overtime. He took advantage of the mentality of the other team, knowing what the opposition was going to do. He noticed things. This was always part of it. So in the same day, when he was being all nice to us and everything, a regular guy, he apologized to me for the dozens of times he hadn't returned my phone calls or whatever when I was working on a book about our back. You know, Red was nice to me and Red would say, oh, I can get Russell to do this. No, no one could get Russell to do anything. He was going to do what he was going to do. I respected that. It was nice to have these little moments with him, but it was not a constant, hey, let's uh, let's go around and shoot the breeze at Bill Russell. You, you took any moment you could get. Well, I think there are similarities between him and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Um, uncompromising, yeah. often viewed as prickly, but I don't think a guy like me um, has any understanding of their day-to-day living yeah. and the obstacles and, you know, the racism they faced. Sure. And so it's easy from afar to say he was difficult. But, boy, when you go back and look at history and um, what he dealt with, like, I I heard a story years ago that people were doing, like, top big men of all time. And Russell just wouldn't have it if he wasn't viewed as the best center of all time because to him, <laughs> winning – was above everything else. The, the nothing mattered. And so I do think there's an argument like Ru- Wilt Chamberlain, who we find now is fairly close friends with Russell. Wilt was the statistical monster, but he was also a flake. 
and often totally compromised. Do you remember? See, I don't as a kid. It's I, I missed the window. Do you remember the Wilt Russell matchups? Absolutely. It was the greatest one-on-one matchup we ever saw because of the athleticism of the two guys and the identities of the two guys. I mean, Wilt Chamberlain's averaging 50 points a game. The only people that have ever had three consecutive MVP seasons in the NBA are Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and Larry Bird. No one else has done three in a row. Look it up. It's a weird stat. And, of course, the stats, there were a lot of rebounds in the early part of the 60s because there were a lot of missed shots. And Wilt would get 30 in a game in rebounds. Wilt never comes out of a game. Wilt never fouls out of a game. Russell would exploit these things. Go back and look at the last time they played in 69. Wilt had the better team. Russell finished fourth. And Wilt's got Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, and Russell's got Emmett Bryant. You know, he had Havlicek. But the Lakers were supposed to win. It was game seven in the forum. And the fourth-place Celtic team beat them yet again. Wilt didn't want to foul out. Asked out of the game. Ben Bredikoff wouldn't put him back in the game. Wilt ends up sulking on the bench, and Russell wins another championship with an inferior team. That's how it ended for the two of them. Wilt was a great guy, easy guy for us, wanted to please, gregarious, all that stuff. Russell wasn't that guy. But they would get together and, you know, Wilt's mother would make them both dinner when Wilt, when Russell would go to Philadelphia and all this stuff. And and they got along fabulously. But and just look at the athleticism of Wilt Chamberlain. He's like a LeBron James, seven foot one and, you know, couldn't put it to the floor like that. But everything else, he was a crazy down there, the muscular you know, and the speed and the power. And Russell was able to neutralize that. Let Wilt have his thing. We'll win the championships. Go yard all summer long with $5 Dinger Tuesdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. This season, all customers, all of them, will get 5 bucks for every home run hit by both teams when you place a $25 to hit a home run wager on Tuesday's Major League Games. Tuesday's Games. And the best part about Dinger Tuesdays, even if your bet loses, loses, FanDuel pays you 5 bucks for every home run. No better place in America to bet America's pastime than America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel. So head over right now to your FanDuel account or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, sign up. Please use the promo code Colin to pick your home run hitter. That's Colin that gets you the deal. All customers, $5 every home run hit by both teams on Tuesday's Major League Baseball games. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, and Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem, 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42-ARIZONA, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, Jersey, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential health in Michigan, 1-877-HOP P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369 in New York, Tennessee. Redline 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin Use the tire decision guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Michelin tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. 
They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Michelin test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com the way tire buying should be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You know, the Boston Mount Rushmore is remarkable. Bill Russell, Ted Williams, Tom Brady, and Bobby Orr. (laughs) I mean, Larry Bird doesn't make the mountain. Isn't that remarkable? Nope. Nope. It's true. I mean, you know, you can make a case best in every sport. I mean, you know, I, I think Orr right. is. And Russell clearly is the best winner. Ted could be the greatest hitter. Brady, you know, he, that's kind of hard to dispute. So it's really, you know, we're pretty proud of that. And Russell, because of the winning 13 you know, years, 11 championships, he's really kind of a, a little cut above the others. And Tom, six Super Bowls is really hard to do in this era. We know that. But one thing the old guys will tell you, smaller league, nine teams, Hard to do then, too, because there were good players on every team. You didn't have right. all these bums, these layups, 30 teams, whatever. You know, it was a concentration of ability. Look at some of those teams with the Knicks and the Royals and, and the Lakers, of course. And, uh, you know, everybody was stacked nightly. Nate Thurman, Willis Reed, Will Chamberlain. you got to go toe-to-toe with a good guy every night, and, Ru- and Russell did it. Well, that's why I fell in love with the NBA in the 70s, and it's why I can still name the Sixers starting five and oh. the Celtics starting five. Because everybody was competent. There were yes. no just rotational guys. You had like yeah. five to six guys, six guys. I mean, I don't care if it's the Denver Nuggets and the Fat Lever, Issel, Alex English. You look at how good those teams are, and they 
they struggle to win playoff series because sure. like to your point, it wasn't as diluted as expansion right. has made all sports. I mean, we have five or six teams in baseball that are triple A baseball teams. I mean, and everybody in the world. We need relegation, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> so let's pivot to the Patriots. Um, I remember years ago, I've used this example, Dan, that Warren Buffett obviously knows a lot more about investing than both of us. But investors, even legendary investors, make mistakes. And I remember about 12 years ago, he he went into newspapers, big investment newspapers. And I remember thinking, listen, I read them and I love them. And I wanted to be a columnist as a kid. That ain't a great investment. Craigslist killed the classifieds, the urgency with telephones. They exist and they matter. And journalism will always have a profound place. It's probably not the best investment. And I say this because Bill Belichick, like Warren Buffett, knows more football than you and I will ever know, right? But no coordinators. Um, they have a recent history of poor drafting of offensive skill people. So this was presented to me, Dan, the other day, and I'll throw it at you, is that if you look at the last seven games of New England's schedule this year, it is a gauntlet of Pro Bowl quarterbacks, seven straight weeks. Bill looks at that and thinks, we've got to really take advantage of the first 10 games on this schedule. And by not bringing in a coordinator, there is an element of surprise in September. And that now that we both kind of go, give me a break. But Bill is nothing if not strategic. Um, it's the only answer for me when people ask, why doesn't he have an offensive coordinator? That's that's the only thing that's been presented to me that makes sense. Do you have a better idea? Uh, no, there's the possibility that there's some sort of pay structure thing where you can pay guys less because you don't give them these titles. Um, they do think about these things. You wouldn't think they would. They do. In uh, more likely, it's that Bill's just stubborn and he's going to do things his way. I think he did some of this with the Browns. Didn't work out really well 25, 30 years ago. And uh, he's got two sons in the staff. I think there's an... Uh, designed to keep the heat off them a little bit. If you make Steven defensive coordinator or play caller of anything like that, it's more likely to come down on him. I think Bill's basically saying, I'll take the heat, you know, I'll do it. And he will take the heat if they don't get out fast. Cause this is being, you know, Bill's doing the usual obtuse answer to these questions. Like, why would you even ask that when it's like, everybody would ask that. It's like, where are these guys? Why aren't you listing them as coordinators? So he's, he's holding on to it in a very stubborn fashion. And, uh, you know, you point out the gauntlet at the end. The first four games aren't very easy for them either. So it's this this has potential. And he's a little bit bulletproof because he's 70 years old and he's trying to catch Shula. He's got the resume. They did make the playoffs last year, but we know Buffalo's out of reach for them. It looks like Miami might have vaulted past him a little faster now. Miami beat him twice last year. So what's going on? How's this going to go if they don't get out faster? Will Bob Kraft ever actually put heat on this Hall of Fame coach he's got right in his yard here? So it's it's very intriguing, but what they don't have is a lot of really talented, great players, and we're not seeing it. And you look at the depth charts around the league and where they rank with any position on the field, it's it's not good. Well, I read the Jeff Benedict, Ian O'Connor, Seth Wickersham books on the Patriots and Belichick. All three correctly acknowledged that Brady and Kraft were very tight, but I did feel in all three books that Kraft often tolerates Bill's snarkiness, 
kind of obtuse, cranky sure. nature. And it sounds, you know, counterintuitive to what you would think. But I've seen coaches, Andy Reid, fall out of favor after a three-game losing streak. <laughs> and I look at Bill and I think, this team goes in this division. Miami is better offensively. Buffalo's the class of the league. Jets are better offensively. And we have a very clear pivot in this league to offense. The very good defensive coaches, Pete Carroll struggling, Mike Zimmer fired, Brian Flores couldn't get along with the quarterback, Fangio. These are capable men. And I think to myself, what if they don't make the playoffs, Dan? Ooh. I know. They're on the bubble of that. When you as going in, that's a legitimate oh, yeah. question. That's a legitimate question going in. And I, I I'm kind of a fallback because Bill is so superior to all the other coaches, and I still believe that. And maybe, maybe he's your guy buying newspapers. You know, maybe he's still reading newspapers. Maybe that's why I like him because he's old school. Uh, but the notion that you know you're going to go at it with linebackers who aren't that fast anymore, you're going to still still play the ball like it was played in the '70s and '80s. You know, maybe that's not working anymore. And in certain positions, wide receiver that you've never valued, you're going to have to value because the league has changed while you're there, turning 70 years old, winning all these games, chasing Shula. So. It, it makes it an intriguing plot line as we go in. How's this going to play out? The notion of, of he's not going to finish behind the Jets. That will never happen. <laughs> right. I mean, that would be even he would sink his own boat if that happened. So I'm not saying you got to worry about that. But the rest of it's very real. And I think that, that he's put all this. He's put a big target on his back going in. And I think he just feels that he's got the resume and the gravitas to carry this. Yeah. So let's move on to the Derek Jeter documentary, which I grew up 3,500 miles from that, but it all lands for me. All of it lands. <laughs> and, um, and maybe because baseball is so rich in history and lore that looking back is more fun than actually watching current games sometimes because the pace of it's so much better. Um, I, I've always sort of rolled my eyes at the Derek Jeter's overrated vibe, and I'll tell you why. Because and, and it really hit me when I, I went to a Yankee game and I got there really, really early and I didn't get a press pass. I went as a fan. I wanted to experience old uh, Yankee uh. Stadium. And it's still remarkable to me that there was no place to eat and watch the game at the same time. You had to go get food and then come back and watch it. Like every stadium now, you can have sushi down the third baseline, <laughs> right? You had to literally leave the field if, you, if it was a three and a half hour or four hour game. So I'm watching it, and and as I got there early, um, you could see the media around Jeter. The media was still – that's how early I got into the stadium. And I'm thinking, in Kansas City, there's four there's four riders. Um, outside of maybe Boston or Los Angeles, the daily intensity to be a Yankee shortstop, the pressure. Forget the daily news, the New York Times. You're going to have ESPN. You're going to have Fox. You're going to have Dan Shaughnessy come into town if the Red Sox are in town. It was a it was a, a, a beehive of activity around Jeter. Yet, and this is very rare, Ortiz falls into this too, is that Jeter was not only didn't dip in the postseason like uh, an A-Rod or a Barry Bonds or a Clayton Kershaw, he was often better in crisis. Ortiz falls into that. Schilling often was that. I, When I hear the overrated thing, I just don't think people understand. He had an owner that literally was on him because he, he went out as a single guy in New York too often. Where did you land as a Red Sox 
in Red Sox Nation viewing Jeter for all those years? Well, it was fun to watch him from where our distance was from afar. I mean, just across the room. And I'd always make a point to go over there and just chat with him a little bit. He never said anything particularly interesting, as we know. He was an extremely guarded guy. I understood that. You weren't going to have him light it up for you. But he was polite. He was respectful of the other side. And we had the thing with Nomar, because, you know, you had A-Rod come in a little bit later. But Nomar and Jeter, and look at the career paths. Nomar was better. I mean, for those years, Nomar hit 370 in the big leagues. I mean, you know. I don't know whether, you know, he got too big or what happened or little injuries, whatever, but it went away fast for Novar in 04. Jeter kept going. You know, steer along, 3,000 hits, you know, championships, et cetera. So it changed. But in our town, there was the Nomar versus Jeter thing early on. So you had that. And Jeter, you know, Nomar wasn't, he wasn't good with the media. He just didn't like it. And Jeter wasn't particularly interesting, but he was polite and cooperative. And he, he knew how to play that game and the drill. And he was legitimate captain leader. You can go back to that play against the Oakland A's. No one's ever going to forget that. And we had the epic night in New York when G uh, Nomar wouldn't play in the game in 04 and Jeter dives into the stands and breaks his face and comes off and all that stuff happens. So um, it just, and again, being at the, the World Series in 2001 after the attacks, it's the home run, Mr. November, all that stuff. I mean, I saw it all and it was really impressive. And his last, his last regular season game was in Boston as well. And he, you got an infield hit to knock in a run. He was just one of those guys. It was it was fun all the way. I, I, you know, I haven't gotten into the dive of the of the program, the series you're talking about, but it doesn't surprise me. And and I hope uh, hope he can carry off all those parts, a lot of parts. You know, it also felt like as I watched it, it was the last heyday of baseball. Now it still rings fascinating in October, but you had the well-heeled Red Sox. The, you know, wallet is of no consequence, Yankees. Um, it, it, I, as I watched the series, I thought it feels like NFL Sundays watching these games. It literally captured oh. the nation's attention over the National Football League, Dan. And oh. I, I thought easily, and I thought, I don't think baseball ever gives us that again. No. Right? Being, I, I don't, I don't feel that those games and that documentary, I can remember it. It was bigger than the National Football League in those moments. It was the biblical sports story. That whole thing really was. I mean, I, I started, I wrote The Curse of the Bambino. I had the whole 86 years leading up to that. What happened in 04, it was the only time Boston, and the fact that they did it at the expense of the Yanks, the 3-0, 3-0 series lead in baseball, that's never happened in 120 years of seven-game series in baseball. It happened then with the two teams, and that was the winter. A-Rod had been a member of the Red Sox for a half hour. Then he ends up with the Yankees, you know, Jeter won't move over. A-Rod plays third. All the stuff, you know, Schilling with the bloody sock. Ortiz emerges as this, this cartoon character figure who can do all these things. They were like Sheffields on the other side. I mean, people forget the, the greatness and the Hall of Famers and the 500 home run guys that were just pepper, you know, Manny Ramirez. They were everywhere. And it was very real. And uh, to go back and forth, I mean, the Red Sox, Grady Little got fired over that in 03. That's how Francona yep. comes to Boston, just for letting Pedro go past 105 pitches with a 5-2 lead in the eighth inning in Yankee Stadium. Pedro saying the Yankees are my daddy. I mean, you cannot beat the characters <laughs> we had and the stories that went into that. It just never stopped. And the 03, 04, 05 Red Sox-Yankees is as good as it gets. I mean, don't even forget, after they won in 04, the next year, the first pitch of the Major League season was Randy Johnson pitching to Johnny Damon in Yankee Stadium. It was in a weapons, arms race. You just ratchet up, get another great guy to come in and join this thing. And it was a 
pleasure to have covered and to have watched. And you're right, you forget about it, then you go back and see some of that stuff. And it's like, did this really happen? What a thing. Yeah. Dan Shaughnessy, wish it lasted forever. Life with the Larry Bird Celtics, always a voice of reason on Bill Russell, the Patriots, Deshaun Watson, and the Derek Jeter documentary and the Red Sox-Yankee rival. It's summer. Go back to your <laughs> your boat in uh, Martha's yeah, Vineyard or whatever. However your summer's in the most beautiful summer place. I'm taking my family to Nantucket next summer. Uh, it's Good the only call. vacation I ever took where my um, mom's passed. But it's the only vacation I ever took. I went to Nantucket once, and she went. She was British. She goes, oh, how lovely. I've always wanted to go to Amalfa's Vineyard. And my mom never cared where I vacationed, right? She liked to stay at home on the coast of Washington. But it's it really is. You live I, – I tell people this. I was lucky enough to spend a decade of my career in the Northeast. I knew nothing about Boston or New York. Nantucket's my favorite place on earth. It's a good call. You can go see Bill while you're there. If you're there in the summertime, go, go, he'll take you out on the boat. Nine rings. Look at that. You gave me an assignment, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Nice to talk to you guys. Take care. The volume. Make sure to check out the Draymond Green Show. I brought Draymond Green into the volume because one of the more entertaining voices in sports, unique perspective, understands behind the rope, also chops up with guests like Gary Payton, Zach Levine, Tracy McGrady. Make sure download the Draymond Green Show wherever you get your podcasts, only on the Volume Podcast Network. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.